What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. Featuring the expository preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash baldhead Bible. And there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. He had done it. David had defeated Goliath. The 17-year-old had taken down the 9'9 Philistine champion. And there he was, holding the head of Goliath in his hand. And not only that, he was standing before King Saul. Abner, who was the head of the army, took David and brought him before Saul. And there David presents the head of Goliath to King Saul. And Saul takes it. He says, who are you, young man? And David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, it's really interesting. David had been playing the lyre for him, right? He had been playing music to soothe his soul. So how come King Saul didn't recognize him? Well, it seems like when David began to play the lyre for him, remember when he was anointed king, he was probably 10 or 11 or 9 So he was very young when he played the lyre, and it seems like he played it intermittently, and maybe he had been gone now. It seems like he had left and gone back to tend sheep for his father. He wasn't fully part of the court yet. He was intermittent, coming back and forth to play that lyre. Whenever the spirit came upon him, that evil spirit and ravaged King Saul, David would show up, and he just showed up randomly, and maybe he hadn't showed up for years, because now, seven, eight years later, King Saul doesn't even recognize him. He's so much older, and he's so much bigger, and hey, this is a high... Because that day, Saul says, you are going to stay in my house. And why did he decide to do that? Because he saw that the Lord was with David. But he also saw that David and his son, Jonathan, were becoming the best of best of best friends. 
It says there in 1 Samuel 18 that the souls of David and Jonathan were knit together. And the idea there seems to be, remember, David had a heart after God. And he saw that from the start, that the only way to succeed in life is to say, Yahweh, you're my God, and I'm going to be loyal to you no matter what. Well, Jonathan had that same heart. Jonathan had that same desire. And when they saw their zeal for the Lord, and when each had it, man, they said, we're going to become best friends. And it says that Jonathan and David, they loved each other as they loved their own soul. And why? Because they saw that zeal for the Lord. Why would you not become best friends with somebody who is as committed to following God as you are? Man, I think that's such an important rule to live by. You have got to have best friends, right? We all want a best friend. But... Some of you have got best friends that are leading you down a bad path. Some of you have got best friends whose heart is not after the things of God. Oh, you enjoy everything else but the spiritual. You enjoy the same sports. You enjoy the same activities. You have the same desires and personalities. And you've been best friends for years. But this person... Is no longer wanting to live for the Lord now, maybe? Or or maybe you're slowly growing apart because you want to pursue the things of God and they don't. And I would encourage you, it's time to drop your best friend. But that's hard. I agree, that's really hard. Well, here, David and Jonathan, they were both pursuing the same thing and they were both encouraged. And, and, and so much was Jonathan encouraged by David that it says he took off his royal robes because Jonathan is next king in line. But Jonathan sees that David, he has the right to be king and that the Lord is with David. And so he takes off his royal robes and it says that he puts it on David he gives him his sword and his bow and his belt. And Jonathan is saying non-verbally, David is going to be king and we're best friends. Well, that relationship mattered because it's going to show up powerfully later on in the story. David, he continues to grow in the Lord and the Lord uses him mightily. And one day when David is coming back from fighting the Philistines and striking them down, and as they're coming home, it says there in 1 Samuel 18 that all the women come out of all the cities and they're singing a song. And they're singing, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. It's a pretty boring song, pretty short. But the news got to Saul that the people were singing this. That Saul has struck down his thousands, but David... His ten thousands? Well, Saul became very angry. He became incredibly jealous. Now remember, he's king, but he is paranoid. He has an evil, harmful spirit that comes upon him and torments him. And now we find out at his heart, he's a 
jealous little man. Instead of being happy for David that, hey, he gets some praise there for doing good. No, he gets jealous and throws a fit. Well, this evil spirit, it takes, I think, those existing problems that Saul has. And it makes them worse. And that's often how evil works. Satan takes your already existing sins and just magnifies them and brings in a temptation. Well, this evil spirit torments Saul and it takes the spirit of jealousy and puts it on overdrive just really makes it huge in Saul's life and it makes him angry and angry and angry and as David is playing the lyre it says that Saul raved within his house that word raved is incredibly sad in the sense that he couldn't help himself he was so angry fits of rage I can imagine he's going around the palace in a rage at How can it be that David is so popular? Maybe he's foaming at the mouth, getting so mad. Here's David, playing the lyre. It's always calmed him before. And maybe he's following Saul around, playing the lyre for him. Bling, bling. Oh, poor Saul. Oh, come on. Feel better. Playing, bling, 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 the lyre. And Saul is just... Foaming at the mouth, crazy with rage. And then he turns. And I can imagine he says, Enough of that leer. And he picks up his spear and throws it at David with the intent to kill him. In fact, it says that Saul wanted to pin David to the wall. That's how hard he hurled it. And it just missed David. You can imagine David looked at it and where in the world did this spear come from? And he looks and Saul is charging at him with a rage in his face and David's like, I am out of here. And maybe he runs away down the hall a little bit, maybe trying to play the leer because that was his job. Well, Saul pulls his spear out of the wall and he turns and he runs after David and he sees him at the end of the hallway and he says, I can get him with this and throws the spear and he hears that David does whistle above his head and runs into the wall again. He tried to kill him twice that night. He tried to kill David twice that night. Well, David... He gets out of Dodge. He goes to hide. He goes, I've tried to play the leer to calm his spirit. He's insane. And Saul raged and raged and finally calms down. He calms down enough that he puts David in charge of his armies again. And it says that David had success in all his undertakings. Whatever Saul told him to do, David did well. Go fight that army, David did well. Go solve that dispute, David did it well. How did he do it well? Because the Lord, it says there in verse 13, the Lord was with him. It says there in verse 14 that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And when Saul saw how much the Lord was with 
David. It made Saul fearfully afraid and fearfully in awe of him. Because he's probably thinking, I remember when God was with me and it was nothing like that. How much is Yahweh with David? I can't comprehend it. And he got angry and was also afraid of him. But the rest of Israel and Judah, they loved him because whatever David did, he was successful. And the Lord was with him. And the hearts of the Israelites were starting to move towards David. Well, Saul thinks, you know what, I... I got to keep my enemies close to me. So what can I do? All right, well, I'll give him my eldest daughter, Mirab. I, I'll, that, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll give my eldest daughter, Mirab. Hey, hey, David, David. And one of his sane stages, Saul says, David, listen, I'm going to give you my eldest daughter, Mirab, and you can marry her. And David's like, I, I, I can't do that. I, I don't have enough money to pay the dowry for that. The bride price for that? I can't afford that. See, back then, if you wanted to marry somebody, you had to pay the father of the bride. That's pretty expensive stuff. And he says, I, I can't afford that. Plus, he says humbly, who am I? I am nothing in Israel that I should marry your daughter. Well, I think Saul goes back and he thinks, you know, I could get a lot of money for Merab. You're right. And so he breaks his oath and marries off Merab to a totally different guy. He breaks his promise to David. Well, he still likes this idea of, you know, if I can get him to marry one of my daughters, I can keep my enemies close. And, well, one of his daughters, her name was Michael. M-I-C-H-A-L. Cool name. One of my best friends named his daughter Michael. It's a cool name. Well, Michael, she was smart. And she said, you know what? I'm going to fall in love with the best man I can think of. And it says her heart fell in love with David. Wow. Why would you not want to fall in love with David? He was ruddy, remember? We're not certain what ruddy means, except it means handsome pretty much. So he was ruddy handsome, and yeah, good looking. And not only that, he could throw a slingshot, a stone, accurately and kill everybody in, in an amazing way. It's all with this little slingshot and a stone. That's pretty good. He was a warrior. He was good looking, and he could play the lyre. He could just shred that leer like nobody else. Why would you not fall in love with this guy? Well, Michael falls in love with him. And Saul hears about it and he says, Hmm, I like this idea. And it says that he likes it because he knows that Michael will be a snare for David. What does that mean? Well, we're not certain exactly what that means. It it could be she'll be a snare for him in the sense that she'll drag him in. And later on, we find out that Michael had household idols. And some people think, Saul's thinking, well, since she has household idols, and we know David's heart is committed to Yahweh, maybe Michael will draw David into worshiping those idols.
But either way, we do know this, that Saul thinks if I can get him to fall in love and marry Michael, I can cause a little snare in his life. I can cause a little trouble. So he then sends his servants to talk to David and they say, hey, Michael over there, the daughter of Saul, she likes you. She's in love with you. And you know what? I've been told, I've been sent here by the king to say, I'm all for it. This is a match made in heaven. Do it. Become my son-in-law. Well, David again says, who am I? Who am I to become the son-in-law of the king? And secondly, I can't afford the bride price. It's too expensive, people. They haven't invented credit cards yet. I can't rack up debt to pay for her. I can't afford it. I can't go to a bank. We haven't invented them yet. I can't afford her. Well, they go and tell Saul this, and Saul thinks, hmm, you know what? I just thought of another plan. <laughs> I thought of another plan. Okay, go tell him this. And he, Saul whispers it in their ear. <laughs> The men look at Saul like, that is the oddest thing. Really? You want him to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell him to do that. Uh, really? Yes, yep, that's what I want. So the men say, okay. And they go, and they find David, and they say, listen, instead of paying a bride price, the king says, if if, if you can go and bring him, <clears throat> it's a little, kind of, do we really want to say this? Yeah, you need to say it. All right, all right, I'm sorry. Well, if you can go, instead of bringing money, if you can go bring him a, a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, then that'll be the bride price. And David looks at him and they think, I know, it's a little odd. Now, if you don't know what a foreskin is, go ask your mom, go ask your dad. If you're an adult listening, you know exactly what a foreskin is. Ultimately, what it meant was David had to kill a hundred Philistines. Had to kill a hundred of them. Hmm. How is he going to do that? The men look at him and they go, I know it's an odd bride price. He wants a hundred dead Philistines. But David... He doesn't think it's an odd bride price. He probably chuckles to himself. He knows who's on his side, and he stands up and he goes, Yes, let's do this. So they shake hands and they agree. Now, Saul is hoping when David goes to try to kill those 100 Philistines that he will be killed himself. And he gives him a period of time. It doesn't really say how long, but he gives him a period of time to come up with this bride price. Well, David, he doesn't waste any time. And before the time had expired, David took his mighty warriors and they attacked the Philistines and they didn't just bring a hundred foreskins. They brought 200 because it says that David killed 200 men 
And you can imagine as the day arose where he had to bring this, that Saul's sitting there thinking, I think I got him. I don't think he's able to do it. And in walks David. And he dumps the bag there in front of Saul, showing him all the men that he had killed to get their foreskin, the 200. Not only 100, he'd killed 200. I think Saul's mouth must have dropped open. He doubled the full number that he was supposed to bring. Well, Saul's like, all right, you got Michael. And Michael loved David. Well, when Saul saw what he did, doubled the bride price. It says when Saul saw how much Michael loved him, he was even more afraid of David. And when Saul began to see David's success against the Philistines as the commander of his army over and over and over again, Saul became angry and jealous and angry and jealous. So he goes to his servants and he goes to his son, Jonathan, remember, who loves David. Their soul is knit. And he says, listen. We have got to kill David. I want to see him dead. Well, when Jonathan hears that, he goes tells his bestest, bestest, best friend, saying, Listen, my dad, he wants to kill you. He really does. And I want you to see it yourself. So, so I want you to stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And, and, and I'm going to go and stand beside my father in the field. And I want you to go hide in that field. And I want you to watch and see. And if I learn anything, I'm going to tell you. David's like, all right. So King Saul is probably having one of his raving fits. And he's outside the palace. And he's in the field. And David goes off to hide. And Jonathan comes and stands by his father. And he basically tells him, hey. Why do you want to kill David? He's done these great things for you. And, and the Lord's worked a great salvation for Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why do you want to kill David without a cause? And Saul, in the middle of his raging fit, began to calm down. And he listens to Jonathan. And he turns and says, as the Lord lives, uh, I, you are right. I will not put David to death. Well, Jonathan, sort of behind his back, gives a thumbs up to David who's hiding in the field. And later King Saul leaves and Jonathan goes, talks to David and says, Hey, we are good. My dad doesn't want to kill you. So he takes David and brings him in the presence of Saul and all is good. Yes. Woohoo. This is going to be awesome. Well, later on, David is out fighting the Philistines. And guess what? David defeats him, has a great battle. Glory goes to David, and David gives all the glory to Yahweh. Well, this harmful spirit 
comes upon Saul. And when he hears of all the praise to David, guess what? He becomes raging jealous again, you know? Sort of like the Hulk, you know, whenever he becomes, ah, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He's insane. And, and it says that Saul, when he hears of this, when David, after fighting, comes to play the leer to calm him, whoosh, he throws the spear again and tries to pin him against the wall. David's like, not this again, and he is running. Saul just promised he wouldn't kill him. Saul just said to Jonathan, I'm swearing on Yahweh that I won't kill him as Yahweh lives. And then he breaks his oath to Yahweh? The Lord has left him. There's no vestige of any sense of following God. So, Saul, at this point, is committed to killing David. He is absolutely going to kill David, no matter what it takes. So he sends men to find out where David is that night. Right now, he's married to Michael. Well, Michael finds out about the plan and he says, you've got to get out of here. My dad is sending men to kill you. So she maybe ties all the bed sheets together and lowers them out the window, it says, and he runs off into the night. Well, then Michael takes one of her household idols. Now, why she has a household idol if she's following Yahweh is a good question. She shouldn't have had this. Well, she takes one of these life-size idols, puts it in the bed, and it says puts goat's hair on top of the head so it looks like hair and then covers it up with the sheet. So when Saul's men bust in, they go, where is David? And she says, well, uh, he's sick upstairs. And they go upstairs and they he, she tries to stop him and they burst in and oh, they kill David in the bed. And what, what, what? That's not David. That's... It's an idol, and Saul shows up. And he says, Michael, well, why have you done this? Why? You've deceived me. And Michael goes, uh, he threatened me. He, 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 said, he, said, he said, I'm going to kill you. Let me go. And so I had to do this. And she lies. And Michael's already starting to seem a little fishy here. But she did love David, and she, she warned him. Well, here, Saul trying to kill David in the middle of the night. Well, David is running, running, running. Now Saul is after him. And there is no more chance in David's head that Saul is going to let him off and become his friend again. So he is running and he's like, where should I go? My, What friends do I have? Who could any? And he thinks, I'm going to run to him. He has never let me down. And he runs to Samuel, who is at home in Ramah. And he's an old dude by this point. And he comes and tells Samuel, Saul is out to kill me. And Samuel says, all right, let's get up to Naoth. And they move to Naoth. Samuel has taken care of David. And they move to Naoth. And here, it's basically, Naoth means tents, and it seemed to be a tent, an area where the sons of the prophets, the, the prophets-to-be would gather, and they were all there. And Samuel and David hide among the tents and hide among the prophets. 
Well, Saul is on the rampage. And when he finds out that Samuel and David have moved to Naoth to hide, he doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about anything like that. And he sends his messengers out there and they come to kill David. But when they come to kill David, all of a sudden, <gasps> they start prophesying. It says the Spirit of God comes upon them and they start prophesying. Basically, it means they are immovable. They start to fall into this ecstatic trance. Basically, the Spirit of God just whoop, freeze. You can't do anything. In fact, while you're frozen there, I want you to prophesy about what a wonderful God I am. And maybe they just sat there in a frozen state saying, Yahweh is wonderful. Yahweh is great. May he be honored. And maybe he made them also say, David is his chosen king. David is wonderful. And they prophesied about the wonders of David while in a frozen stance. Well, Saul hears about this and he sends a second set of messengers and they come up and the spirit of God comes upon them and floop. Same thing, they're frozen in their tracks and they start prophesying these wonderful things of Yahweh and wonderful things about David. Then he sends a third set of messengers and they also end up in the exact same way. So finally Saul says, I've had enough of this. And he goes on his own and he walks up there and he sees these hundreds of messengers that he sent all prophesying, oh, yeah, Yahweh, yeah. And it must have been a weird sight men frozen prophesying praise to God and the wonders of David and what he's going to do. Saul thinks this is nuts and he bursts through the line and maybe he's about to throw a spear at Samuel when he begins to prophesy himself. The spirit of God rushes upon him. And not only that, it says he strips his clothes off and lays on the ground and prophesies before Samuel and David, and he laid there on the ground naked all night and all day. Well, David, he runs. He gets out of town, and he finds his friend Jonathan. And he says, what have I done, Jonathan? What is my guilt? Why does he want to seek my life? And Jonathan basically says, I don't know. He's hid this from me. And David says, listen, if, if I found favor in your eyes, please, you've got to go find out what the problem is. And Jonathan says, I will. And, and David says, listen, the new moon feast is coming up that they celebrated on the first day of the month. And at this new moon feast, David says, listen, I'm not going to show up for it. And then on the second day, I'm not going to show up for it. But then when Saul asks you where I'm at, I want you to tell him that David said, listen, I've got to run to Bethlehem. He, he told you that he, you've got, he has to run to Bethlehem for their yearly sacrifice for all the clans. And, and if Saul says, good, good, I hope he has a good time with his family, then I'll know he's not angry. And then I'll know that everything is fine. But if he is angry and he means me harm, 
And you know that we said we loved each other and that they basically made a covenant with each other when they met for the first time. He says, I want you to keep that covenant with me. And I want you to find me and warn me and tell me. And David literally says, I want you to kill me yourself because he thinks it would be rather better for him to die than to keep running away. But Jonathan says, hey, I like the plan, but... I don't like that killing you part. Listen, I'll do your lie and, and, and I'll ask him that. And if he says good, then I'll come tell you. But if he gets angry, I'm going to tell you. But listen, I don't want to physically talk to you. Instead, I'm going to come to that field that you're hiding in. And I'm going to bring a little boy with me, my little armor bearer. And, and I'm going to shoot some arrows up into the sky, far away. And when they land, thunk, 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 my little armor bearer, he's going to run to him. And when he comes to them, if I say, hey, good, the arrows are on that side, take them, then you are going to be okay. And as the Lord lives, it's safe. And my dad is not furious at you and everything's fine. But if the little boy comes to the arrows and, and instead of saying, hey, they're on this side, and instead I say, no, look, they're, they're beyond you. The arrows are beyond you. Then you're going to have to run because the Lord has sent you away. My dad is determined to kill you. All right, they agree this this plan. So along comes the new feast day and David doesn't show up. Saul sits at the head of the table and he's used to all the people there. Abner, his commander of the army, is there and everybody else. But the spot where David sits is empty. It says that Saul thinks to himself, hmm, I think he's unclean. There were some amazing rules to follow the Lord, to obey his commands. And according to Deuteronomy and Numbers, there were various reasons why he could be clean or unclean, and Saul thought to himself, well, he didn't show up for this feast because he's probably unclean. Well, the next day rolls around, and David is still not there. And Saul says, hey, Jonathan, because he knows Jonathan and David are best friends. He goes, hey, hey, Jonathan, why is the, and this is interesting, the son of Jesse not here? From this point on, Saul never calls David by his name. He always calls him son of Jesse. Couldn't bring himself to say his name. And he, he says, why is the son of Jesse not here? Well, Jonathan says, listen, uh, dad, David came and talked to me and, and, and he said, listen, I've got to go to Bethlehem because my clan is holding a sacrifice there and my brothers commanded me to go. Jonathan throws in his own little bit of the lie. You know, they're, they're trying to hide and trying to keep David safe. And he's thinking on his feet. Well, David came and said, my, my oldest brother said, hey, come to the clan. And so he left and, 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 and went there. And, and he says, hey, let me get away and see my brothers. And that's why he's not come. How will Saul respond? Jonathan sits there waiting. Will he respond in anger? Or will he respond in peace? You can imagine Saul with the crown on his head, his head bowed, eating some of his beans and wieners, 
Well, you wouldn't eat wieners, right, because it's pork, but eating some of the beans and goat and some of the great food lifts up his head. And there is anger on his face. And he says, listen, you, you, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. He just offended him by making fun of his mom, Jonathan's mom. And he says, do I not know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? And as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither of you shall be the head of this kingdom. None of it shall be established. And he picks up his spear and he hurls it at Jonathan, his own son. Well, and of course it misses. I think either Saul is a horrible shot with a spear or... More likely, Yahweh's protecting Jonathan. Yahweh's protecting David. And so Jonathan rose and he gets out of town, but it says he is angry. And he is grieved. He's angry at his dad, but crushed that he's going to have to say goodbye to his best friend. And so he comes into the field and he brings the little boy with him. And he raises his bow, and David is hiding out there by some rocks. Jonathan knows I've got to shoot near those rocks, and I don't know how many arrows he shot. I like to think three. And he shot the arrows high into the air, and plunk, plunk, plunk. What's he going to be? And the boy runs towards the arrow and and David thinks, oh, great. He's just running towards the arrow. And as the little boy pulls up the arrow, Jonathan says, no, they're not there. They're beyond you. Oh, no. No. He's got to run and hide. He's got to get out of town. This is terrible news. The little boy takes the arrows back to Jonathan, and Jonathan says, hey, go go away, just take all my stuff, take the bow, take the arrow. I'm just going to stay here in the field a little bit, and the boy leaves. And it says that Jonathan runs towards David, and David runs towards Jonathan, and they hug. It says they cry. You know, it's okay for men to cry, And they're crushed. Why? Because they're best friends, but they're not going to be able to see each other again for a very long time, if at all. And they don't know. They love each other. And they weep, and it says that David cried the most. And David gets up, and he leaves. Jonathan can't go back home and says he goes into the city. So what's going to happen? Saul is determined to kill David. And this evil spirit from the Lord is just magnifying all the jealousy and anger. And Saul is full of rage. 
And David is just maybe a 19, 20, 21 year old, maybe 22 year old at this point. And he has no one really to protect him. He has a small army of warriors, but nothing compared to the king and his mighty army. How in the world is David going to survive apart from Saul being a horrible shot with the spear? Everybody else, I'm sure, is great with their spears and their bows and arrows. And they're under the leadership of Saul. They are all coming after David. What is he going to do? Well, if you listen next week, we're going to find out more about the story. But ultimately, we know this, right? That the Lord is with David. The Lord is on his side. I think David's going to win simply for that. But secondly, I think the other thing we can learn from this is just the evilness of jealousy. Jealousy can tear families apart. One brother gets jealous of another, or a dad gets jealous of a son, or a mother gets jealous of a daughter, or best friends, you've been best friends for years, and then something happens, somebody gets a part in the play you wanted, or gets picked for the team that you wanted, and you get jealous, and you feed that jealousy, until it tears your friendship apart. Don't let jealousy fester itself. You need to crush it. You need to end it now. Jealousy is an evil thing. It tore this kingdom apart. But standing for Yahweh, trusting in him, leaning on the Lord, that's what David does. And I pray that's what we'll do as well. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.